0: Welcome to the Edition Wars podcast, where we take a deep dive into the mechanics and playstyles of all the editions of our favorite game. We look at what worked, what didn't work, what led to better games, and what supplements can possibly add to the game that we have right now today. And we talk about it all in this episode. We are continuing to discuss Iserians in Chiridian of the West Marches, and we are right in the midst, smack dab in the middle of Chapter 3. I am Sam, and of course, I am here with my illustrious co-host, Brandis. How are you tonight, sir?
1: Oh, thank you Oh, Thank you all. Thank you very much. I, I'm doing very well. Thank you. So, Inhabitants is just talking about the people that you meet on Sesame Street, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you've got settlements uh, and inhabitants is people who deliver narrative, Um This is an especially recognizable point from Dark Souls and Elden Ring, uh, Inhabitants' narrative, uh, and then Legendary Monsters um, and Encounters. And so these are the sections we're going to be starting out on. Um, So with settlements, they want to emphasize the hostility of the West Marches. Uh, and, and the wilds, and so they've have got a bit of a an issue to work their way around because they want you to run into a bunch of hostile settlements mm-hmm. without getting racist about it. You right. need to emphasize what they're doing that's bad. They're not bad by nature, but mm-hmm. they're they've made a decision that's bad. Right. They, they're performing actions that are bad. Yes.
0: Badness is because of behavior, intent, and actions, and not because of genetics.
1: Right. And so there's a sidebar on uh, earning inhabitants' evil status. And, I mean, this is an important conversation for just all you know, combat-heavy fantasy gaming to have a conversation about. It's mm-hmm. very, very good stuff.
0: Yeah, uh, I, I do also want to say that they have an, another issue though, and that is one of, you know, up until this page of this entire book, they presented the hometown as the only place where the party is going to go to rest, and I know. From experience, that if the party finds a small settlement near the location where they want to explore or plunder, whatever right. dungeon, right? Dungeon, temple, old cave, old mine, whatever. Can we call it a homlet? Of, We're not saying. Right. <laughs> there, There's a settlement there. They're not going to want to go all the way back 20 miles to their hometown.
1: Miles, hexes, yeah. Hexes,
0: right. Whatever. Like to, to, to spend the night, they're going to want to stay in this little old piddly town. Even if they get a weird feeling, like some of the inhabitants are maybe nefarious or don't have the best of intentions, they're still going to say, well, we're, we're going to stay here because then we don't have to travel the whole day just to get here again. And we don't have to sleep outside. And, you know, they're going to have all these reasonings, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So this, I wish they addressed that here. This settlement section is not big enough. Yeah. <laughs> right. Um, yeah.
1: Uh, yeah. The, you're making very important points about just the the, the dynamics of settlements and safe rest points.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, again, touching on uh, Dark Souls, if you thought of every major bonfire that has a few NPCs as a settlement, um, mm-hmm. then yeah, there's there's more than one in in this horrible effed up world you're exploring. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if you're really serious about no, you have to get all the way back to home base every time. Uh, then there can't ever be a safe settlement
0: ever, mm-hmm. right? Uh, not Which even is-
1: one that you clear out of everyone. And I I think that total depopulation shouldn't be your your goal. Just mm-hmm. that's not that, that's gross, kind of no matter what,
0: right? But I just mean like that's why they're leaning so heavily on this being these these villages are hostile these settlements are hostile mm-hmm. they're not necessarily safe respites although they do say that you can put a safe respite in here but yeah. to me that more contradicts their whole ideal of only only your hometown is the safe space right
1: right and and i think that there's a hair to be to be split where mm-hmm. um, all of the locations that you want to build up that have the cool thing that have the projects you can advance those are all you know your your actual home base town that is all the way at the east edge of the map
0: mm-hmm. right right um,
1: you can have these settlements that have no amenities they don't have a cool smithy they have a a basic now useless smithy they don't have a cool library, they have basic net useless library, Mm -hmm. Um, and so on. And it's still an okay place to to camp, maybe. And maybe, you know, all of the adventurers that are part of the company roster, you know, uh, come out to this settlement once you've established a a safe house there or Mm -hmm. whatever. And so you use that for a while until you've finished, then you go home. I think right. that's doable, but you're absolutely right. They don't explain enough how they're thinking of it.
0: Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And and that's that's my only problem with this. What they do say is good, and I understand what they're trying to do. And, and I agree. You don't want to make your party go back 40 hexes every time. They leave. Where are they going to camp? They're just going to be in the wilderness. Well, then they might as well just camp outside of the dungeon, but in the wilderness, right? Like right. that's, you know, so give them a settlement. Maybe there's a few settlements. I, I, get, I get that right.
1: idea. Right. You know, it says a place to grab a safe night's sleep and resupply, but little more. Right. But there can't I, be any adventure to happen in the settlement proper.
0: Right. And ever. the settlement is supposed to be somewhat dangerous, right? So I totally get that. I just wish they, they explained more about how these settlements will never become your hometown. Right. This, this is not what the purpose of these settlements is. They do say that, but I mean, not so just, it's not, it's not explicit. It's sort of implied, but they really yeah. need to explain how you can use them as small points that maybe are still hostile or dangerous, but not, you, they're not going to get murdered in the nighttime. Right. Yep. Um. And so. So you can use that in, in your favor, but don't go overboard with it, right? I, I just want – I wanted more from this because I want to see their conception of, well, what are these settlements? How come the people in the hometown have never met these people that are in this settlement that's, you know, 30 miles away? How come that's the case, right? Like yep. there's there's some issues there that need to be addressed that they don't really address in, in this book.
1: Yep, I agree with that. Um. And, you know, the idea of inhabitants' as narrative uh, gets a, a fairly scanty two paragraphs, mm-hmm. but it's, it's an incredibly important idea.
0: Right. Uh, Absolutely. Totally agree. Uh, but this is leaning
1: into the the monstrous inhabitants um, and the, the careful use of humanoid inhabit- inhabitants. Mm-hmm. It's talking about groups of people. And it's sort of an interesting point, because when I mentioned Dark Souls, what I had in mind was the named individuals that turn up more than one time in the story, and you are following that person's personal Mm storyline from location to location. And, I mean, that winds up being just a huge part of the backbone of story for that whole style of game. Right. Just all of the FromSoft games, um, yeah, and, and that also is important, I think, for the West marches right. to have uh, NPCs you can talk to, who you're going to run into in a bunch of different locations.
0: Yeah, and and the problem with this is that this is these things are talked about in the next chapter, and yeah. right about in this place in this current chapter it starts referring us to well for more about this c page whatever and it gives the page number it's not a c page xx thing it's it actually gives the page number but uh but it, that's what it does so you actually have to go to that section to see what they say about it. and then it does talk about npcs as people who are going to affect the world and possibly provide lore and, and do all these things right um we just haven't gotten there yet and so that's part of why I think this, this page in particular is kind of lacking in anything because they know they're going to talk about it later and it's appropriate to introduce these topics, but they didn't want to extrapolate too much on them because they're going to, they're going to, you know, expound on them in the next chapter. But that doesn't help me right now as reading this page and saying, well, I want to know more about that. So.
1: Yep. Um, that's, that's Which is
0: so. I and so I, just to be, be clear, I'm not actually lambasting the authors of the book or the whatever. This is a distinct layout problem in all RPGs, right? Oh yeah, oh, yeah. and 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 in textbooks, by the way, um, because this is meant to be a rule book. It's a rules reference book. It's a it's a book for you to use. Maybe you'll read it all the way through, and maybe you won't. Maybe you'll just reference the pieces you like or that you need at the moment. Kind of like the fifth edition DMG right? Or the first edition DMG or the second edi- or any edition DMG, right? Um, it's a reference work. It's like a textbook. It has rules and it has other pieces of information in it. And they're not always laid out that great because sometimes it's just really hard to put things all together because sometimes you're leading into a particular topic and you have to mention something, but you don't want to extrapolate. So I'm not I'm not trying to throw them under the bus and say oh this is the most horrible thing ever especially cuz it's the beginning of the episode and so I don't want to seem like, you know, that I'm, you know, that I'm killing them at the very beginning. But um but that is what starts happening is towards the end of this section it now starts pushing us to okay, well you're going to need to learn more about this later.
1: Sure. <laughs> so sure. Um but their section of legendary monsters is uh, a nice taste of what mm-hmm. they're talking about, right. like the, the D10 table is good. Uh, you need like, for for an actual campaign to happen. You're gonna want like thirty more of these bad boys, mm-hmm. right? Um, yeah, but this is a collection of like big, memorable monsters with with a real emphasis on monster. Mm-hmm. Um, this is. Recognizable to you know from soft fans as a thing that those games have always done incredibly well. Big, horrific monsters. Um, like uh, the three headed purple worm Mm -hmm. has got to be a real, real standout for me in this list,
0: yeah, yeah. Um,
1: but really, this is getting into just the aesthetics of really memorable creature design and. That's a great lesson, uh, you know. If you offered me a twenty-hour course on the aesthetics of really great creature design, I would sign up for the extended edition. Mm-hmm. Let's go! That sounds amazing. I would love to be hugely inspired with amazing, amazing creature design all the time. That is that is great stuff. Right. Um, and so, I'm not actually disappointed with the D10 table. Uh, it's a great starting point to write your own next 30 entries right um yeah but you're going to use all these guys in the course of a campaign maybe for better or for worse because not every campaign needs to run to the tarrasque sorry
0: (laughs) yeah i mean I, i i i wish that they said uh here's an example list here are some tips to make your own sure right Sure. Uh, and then and then that would help me make my other 20 entries on a d30 table or my 50 entries or my whatever my hundred whatever i'm making right yep. versus just oh here's here's this table okay
1: yep um and, and for this i do want to give a couple of quick shouts to um, the excellent uh legendary dragons book by uh, jetpack 7 um it is it's a book of dragons but they're all individuals with weird flaws and quirks mm. that mm-hmm. change them up. I think that's a really strong pitch for a book. Um, I also think that uh, like aesthetically the book of fiends by green Renin mm-hmm. and uh, uh, Rob Schwab is not going to be everyone's cup of tea. That is okay. If you, if you like some dark stuff though, it's, it, it, it goes there and all kinds of places. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Fizbon's treasury of dragons is not to be missed for this. Um, yeah. Some of the tables of quirks there to change up you know, all these different dragons mean oh. that, yeah, you could encounter four different bronze dragons and they're mm-hmm. going to feel meaningfully different. And yeah. that's a damn achievement. Mm-hmm. Um, and- there's a,
0: t- there's a 2C gaming does a, does a TPK bestiary. Nice. And they have a volume yeah. one and a volume two, and they, they have a very nice arrangement of, of creatures that can be the main villain in, in your campaign, and usually they have two or three different variants that are different enough that you could actually have them all in a campaign pitted against each other because they're that different. They're obviously not the same individual. That's fantastic. It's just tweaked a little bit. It's actually different things. So, um, yeah, so that's a, they did a good job of that too.
1: Um, uh, fantastic layers. By uh, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. uh, your friend and mine, Mr. Mike Shea, Mm -hmm. uh,
0: and his... James James Intercaso and... um, uh, uh, uh,
1: Scott Fishel, right? Yep, exactly. uh, Notable 'er ne'er-do-wells all. uh, (laughs) is going to be a really, really nice source for a Westmarch's game. Mm -hmm. Oh, my gosh. You will not be sorry to have something like that just tucked away for... Uh players won up in a hex. I mm-hmm. did not populate enough. Yep. And the, the pacing really demands that I pitch something mm-hmm. awesome to them within about the next three hexes.
0: Yep. Here we go. And uh cobalt presses um every time they have released a book of creatures like the tome of beasts, uh, the all, all their codex, of beasts Beast and the creature codex, yep. Those three things came with books of layers. So those are also very, you know, it's like a, you know, a small layer and then everything about it. And so those are really nice things. So Westmarches really lends itself to being able to take products like that and pull out the little piece, right? And then plunk it where you want it. And you can, of course, tweak it and shift it and do what you want to do, make it stranger, make it less strange, make it fit whatever has been happening start dropping some lore about it, some rumors about it, and then, you know, your West March's players will be right on it.
1: And, and lastly, I want to mention, um Morning Kind of presents Multiverse of Monsters mm-hmm. as just a great resource for uh where 5e is now with boss fights, mm-hmm. because it is so long on demon lords and uh archdevils and all kinds of Top-end big bads, uh, all, all the stuff that you saw in uh, Morning Kindness Foes, just like updated in design.
0: Right. Right.
1: Right. So th- there's definitely resources here so that you're not just at sea, but um, the Monster Manual by itself is not going to be enough, probably.
0: Right. Yeah, I would agree with that. Yeah. Uh, so next page <laughs> to next page.
1: Yeah. So encounters. Uh, take us through this, Sam. Eh?
0: Well, so um, basically um, it's the idea that in a West marches campaign, in part, the travel is the thing, right? Because remember, again, you don't just get to uh, have your players have a map and they point to the temple and say, we're going right there. And then you suddenly get there. Or they say, we're going to that place we were at yesterday, and they suddenly get there. Remember, you're journeying while you're doing this. And that is part of the, uh, the construct or the framework of how these adventures work. And so as you're moving through and you're going to other places, you're going from one region to the next, in, in the West marches, because you're not always just staying really right close to your hometown, you're going from one region to another, you are going to have encounters, you are going to meet things and deal with challenges and dangers, and um, all of those things fall under the purview of what an encounter is. And so th- this, you know, two page spread is trying to talk to us about, okay, how do you make an encounter table? Right. How do you know that? How do you know what kind of encounter it's going to be and how dangerous should that encounter be? And they use a very um, sort of standardized, you know, it, it, they're, the language that they use to frame this issue is very similar to the language they've used in the entirety of the previous pages of the book. So it flows very well with this. Um, and it basically is is providing you with uh, the idea that your encounter table is random right? The whole point of it is that it's a random encounter table. So, you know, you're basically going to be rolling on that table and your party is going to have to, you know, figure out what kind of, you know, what what kind of response to provide to this encounter. Now, also to um, just point it out, like, not every danger is just a creature. Like, oh, some goblins run out and attack you. That's not, that's not every encounter, right? Sometimes it's, it's a uh, an environmental challenge, You're crossing a river, climbing a, you know, cliff, or something like that. But you need to have something so that you can determine what they are going to meet next when they move into the next hex of, a, of unknown territory.
1: Yep, yeah, that uh, that always needing to, as the DM, see what's in the next hex, mm-hmm. is one of the serious challenges. I feel. And we've talked about this quite a lot already, but mm-hmm. um, if you're me and you're used to uh, sort of laying down the the scenery just as the PCs are setting foot on it, you're going to have to re-educate yourself and learn the, the, the GMing skills again to lay it out a couple miles ahead because of what they can see.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm right and so it it they provide um the text provides some guidelines some rules of thumb on how to make an encounter table for your different regions in your in your west marches and then it talks about how a, a regions encounter danger level should be a fixed encounter danger level you know yeah. uh, it, so that if the party knows that the challenges in that forest right there are slightly more difficult than what we can probably meet, then they're not going to go into that forest necessarily until they have kind of increased their skills or whatever. Or if they look at that forest and they say, okay, well, I know that what some of the, I've heard rumors about some of the dangers in that forest and I think we can take those. So they're going to feel free to go into that forest. And then when they do run into those dangers, it should match what the rumors said. Yep. and it should match what that difficulty level is even if they don't meet exactly the thing that was in the rumor, what they do meet should be of the same relative difficulty level right um, right
1: like the difficulty level is establishing stakes mm-hmm. right in a very important way. and that is a kind of predictability that would be wrong for a lot of d d campaigns mm-hmm. but is, Uh, an essence of the fair play of West Marches.
0: Right. Well, and remember that a lot of what they talk about, and they're going to talk about it in the next section too, is when your party is is traveling and going from place to place to place or looking for something or hearing rumors, part of what you're doing is telegraphing to them exact information that they can use to make better informed decisions. And so the thing I say about the forest, right, remember I said rumors, right? Or maybe the lore that one of them learned or one of them heard something from something or had a dream or what for whatever, right? Or, hey, my uncle went into that forest once or had a cousin that went to that forest and this is what they saw. So I know that's what's in there, right? Like that sort of telegraphing of information that has to happen so that they can make informed decision. It's only unfair if you don't telegraph to them. And so they have no conception of what they could possibly be walking into. You have to telegraph to them what they're going to be looking for. And they they have four or five, they already had four or five sidebars basically saying the same thing in this book already about you have to telegraph. That's part of the DM skill set. And if you don't have it, you need to start practicing it because if you don't telegraph appropriately, none of this is going to work. And this whole in, encounter section here, they don't say telegraphing, but it it relies on the same thing. If you're not telegraphing, then you're then you're not doing everything you can to make sure that it's fair. And I'll tell you that. Uh, so some people might be, you know, wrinkling or wrangle wrangling with the or troubled by the idea of fairness and balance. But let me tell you why this is this way. Fairness and balance does not mean that everything is balanced so that the party can overcome the challenge, okay, for every single challenge. And then then there would really be no challenge if you knew you could overcome everything. Fairness and balance comes in when you're talking about giving them the information so that they can make decisions that are appropriate to what they think their character would want to do. And if the character gets telegraphed, if if the DM telegraphs enough information to the party, to the players, and they make their characters go into that really dangerous place, then they're going to die. For sure. And that's okay. That's fair. That's exactly fair. So when I say fair, I don't mean you're agreeing never to hurt the party. I'm saying that you're agreeing to give them enough information to make an informed choice. And when they do make that choice, if they make the bad choice, well- you're not going to hold any punches, right? You're not pulling punches and deciding, oh, well, you know, there was that three-headed purple worm in there that I've been telling them about all the whole time. But, you know, because they're only, you know, level three, I'm not going to sick it on them. No, they knew it. They went in there anyway. Well, they're going to get eaten.
1: Yep. Yep. I mean, the, the very thing we've been saying from the beginning of this book, it is about established stakes, deliver stakes.
0: Mm-hmm. Right. Exactly.
1: And, you know, if something goes weird and you're, the DM's dice are just cold and the players are on a hot streak and they uh, hit above their weight, all right, whatever. G- great.
0: Yep.
1: That, that'll be amazing for them. Yeah. Um, you know, one of the other things I really want to remind people about with fair encounters of a steady difficulty is that if the players are traveling, if they're not in their they're not getting fully safe rests. Mm-hmm. Now, maybe you're using standard long rest rules and they're getting everything back every time they take a long rest and maybe using some alternate rules, but their attrition situation is real. Like mm-hmm. let's say you have a fifth level party. Can they take uh some, you know, a bunch of th- you have third, third levelish monsters, sure, yes. Can they do that twice? Yeah, no problem. Can they do it three times? This is starting to get a little annoying. Mm-hmm. Uh, both on the, the grind, but also they're getting a little worn down. They're they're not avoiding every hit. They're not spending zero spell slots. So the, the tension is ramping, even if each individual fight was quite easy.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: As right. long as they're not getting a full refresh between each fight, partial refresh, something like a short rest mechanic, great, go for it.
0: Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Exactly. And then it, uh, and then it talks about the chance of encounter. So you know, basically, they are not going to be ambushed every time they step a- across p- the imaginary line of one hex into another, right? Uh, They're not going to have a fight every time they rest. They're not going to have a fight every time they literally turn and look to the left or the right. There's a a base encounter chance. In in this conception of this West Marches game, in, in this text, there is a base encounter chance of 10%. And then there, depending on where you are, there is a table. This is a very nice table of conditions that can change that base encounter rate. And uh, that helps, right? Um, It's nice. It's a nice, it's a nice ad. This is something I think that the DMG for fifth edition doesn't do particularly well. So this, this is a nice ad. This page is a, is a really nicely laid out. Um, It has a nice table that tells you about, you know, what the condition or situation is that would change the modifier, right. Of, of the chances of having a a random encounter and why. Yep. So this is a really, this is a really nice page. This is one of those things you put in your, on your DM screen or in your notes in the forefront. For sure.
1: For sure. That's a, that's a very good table. As you say, yeah. Uh, I I like all the different things that it takes into account. Um, You know, even enemy creatures want to take shelter from, inclement weather. Mm-hmm. And so encounters are less likely. Right. That's very cool.
0: Yep. Uh If
1: you're on carrying the other hand, fresh meat. <laughs> on the other hand, let me just say lightning <laughs> elemental.
0: Yeah. Well, okay. And the, and that's the thing though, but they also say, right. Like you, you also need to think about this in terms of your, the region they're in. Right. So if you're in a region with those, You know, with that, then you would you would use that table, right? Okay, there's a storm, and they're in this region. Now there's a new table, because lightning elemental could be, you know, coming to do some shocking things. Yep. (laughs) And then, and then, anything else on that? Because then we get into factions.
1: Let's let's move right past that uh, that that pun and just. (laughs) Get right into it.
0: Come on. All right. Factions.
1: Yes, Sam. I am known as the non-pun approver. That is me.
0: It's all right. I think puns are like dad jokes. Most of them are horrible groaners, but they also make me laugh.
1: Well, as uh, the dad here, yes.
0: (laughs) And did you know that biology professors are really well known for their bad dad jokes? Um I had a
1: biology teacher in high school so yes
0: <laughs> So there you go. Um so here's my problem with this section. It ought to just be okay. a new chapter.
1: Oh, sure.
0: <laughs> right. It's yeah. it it obviously has a heavier heading. Okay? It it obviously is it, it telegraphs <laughs> right to talk about telegraphing. It telegraphs to me that this is a new section. Um, and I just, I just think it would have been better as a new chapter.
1: Well, there's every a reason in the world that, you know, this chapter is taking us so much time in terms of episodes, mm-hmm. we've got one more uh, header of that size coming up. Right, and it is it's, a doozy, friends.
0: Yeah, and it's still in the same damn chapter. It's in the same <laughs> so, damn
1: chapter, and um, it is yeah. a doozy. And yeah. I'm so excited, but right, whole oh, friends.
0: Yeah. So let's Uh, talk about factions real quick. Yeah. This chapter, this part of the chapter, this faction part, the entire time I'm reading this, I'm thinking, this reminded me of the complete book of villains.
1: Mm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm.
0: That's exactly what this is.
1: So I I want to tell a little story.
0: Yep. Please do. Um,
1: And maybe we'll find a way to go really deep on this in the... Distant future of this show, but uh, my wonderful wife got me a copy of Janelle Jaquie's The
0: Dark Tower. Okay, nice.
1: Th- that is my not at all humble brag on my awesome wife, <laughs> but um, what this puts in mind for me is just the uh, the, the Mitrans and the Sadites in The Dark Tower, mm-hmm. like uh Janelle sets out like here are the two groups of people who are at war in this tower that the the PCs get you know thrust into
0: mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> good luck dude yep <laughs> It's is what she pretty much says yep. like uh it's it's great for you that one side are good that won't help
0: right yes all that much <laughs> um
1: but I was looking at that just the other day and it really, I think, plugs into this very well. Um, but this is also something that you really, really see in Elden Ring. Oh my gosh, the the factional uh, situation—you can't gain faction with the NPCs. Mm-hmm. They're all fighting you all the time. Right. Um, that's how Elden Ring do. But um, the the game does such a great job of showing you costumes and. Actions in the world. The the NPCs are moving around and doing stuff and going from here to there and defending locations, and it just does a great job of communicating the same kind of thing, right? Right. Um, In the way that works in a video game, but would not feel alive enough or sufficient for a a tabletop game.
0: Right. Right. (sighs)
1: So, so now let's launch it. I'll launch yeah. it to proper.
0: So, so their, their conception or framework, I'm going to use that word a lot because what this book really is doing is giving you a framework. So every little chapter and every sort of subheading of every chapter is really about putting the framework here for you to work with. And a lot of times they give a lot of information and enough information. Sometimes they don't, as we saw with the encounter thing. But um, in the factions, I think they do because what they say is basically here's your framework. Factions should be villainous, right? You don't want the party trying to join the faction. So you don't want a good faction because if the party's trying to join the faction, then you're changing the, the whole focus of the West marches campaign. Right. That's fair. Um, secondly, the factions need to be connected. They need to have a connection to um, the West marches itself, right? To, to the location itself. Okay. And they need to uh, have limited scope in terms of power. Right. If they were going to be the uh, grand overking overlords, inquisitor of the West marches, and they already are that thing. Well, then you know what your job is, you have to go. If, the, if that's evil, you have to go kill it. Right. And then, and then sure. suddenly you're in a campaign with a specific focus. And so that doesn't help you to make that faction do that. Right. So their framework is it needs to have a limited scope and power that's big enough that it's a threat, but small enough that you can actually make inroads to tempering this evil factions effect on the good people that are in the area. And the connection is now you you know that they are connected to the place, so they're not likely to just flee or just disappear. And villainous, because, again, you don't want the party to join them or want to join them. Um, but also, you know, they do make the point as well that even if there's a villainous faction, it doesn't have to be, you know, completely 100% evil and going around murdering and slaughtering and, you know, pillaging everything right that's that also is not necessary right that there should be and they're going to talk about it a little bit later but there should be goals and motivations behind the faction itself and the members of the faction so uh, it's trying to set this framework and then it and then it starts talking about how you fit your faction into its territory and that the territory of the faction is very important to how that faction is going to function and also the faction itself is influenced by the territory and the territory is influenced by the faction so it's trying they're trying to tell you to make a living breathing flexible changing faction that is mostly villainous but has limited power and is connected to the region that it's in because that's its territory and so those you cannot separate those right it's a pretty good write-up yeah
1: um I think that honestly, like this is very much not what Five E means when it talks about factions.
0: Mm-hmm. Right.
1: Five yeah. E is thinking about factions that players do join mm-hmm. and rise in the ranks of, and right. It's it's interesting to just see a, an emphasis on like essentially NPC collectives, right? Uh, the, yeah. the the um broad use of NPCs in organized groups, but that is, in fairness, a very significant part of uh, you know, your, your old school mega dungeons and, mm-hmm. and such.
0: Um, oh. I think in fifth edition, the word faction just means power group. Right. right. It's a group with some influence, and there's no other connotation on it. It could be bad. It could be good. It could be whatever. Um, the Well, so there is one other connotation on it. The other connotation on it is because it has power in the setting, the PCs might want to do something with it, like join it or right. whatever. And that's okay within the bounds of the adventure. But let me read what this book says.
1: Well, this, I'm mostly thinking of the the faction advancement content in the dmg in dragon Ice, right right that kind of stuff but,
0: but let me read what this book says just because the thing is that i think people might disagree with this right i think this is actually uh because of the way that fifth edition uh sees factions and presents factions uh this is this is very different from fifth edition's typical you know idea here's what they say it says um If players discover a faction that is primarily friendly to their cause and is significant, they will likely try to form an alliance or even directly join that faction. The player characters as a group should be independent. While they may owe debts or favors to a faction or factions, simply joining another extant faction shifts the priorities of the game. Even worse, it's possible that some players will want to join an existing faction and others won't, and then the group gets split up and now your campaign is not working the way a west marches campaign should work because you're not going to run one group that's always together exactly the same because they're in the faction and one set of players that didn't join the faction so they're now they're now by default the other faction because they didn't join right so sure it will it will mess up your game if your intention is to run it the way that this book is framing the west marches game. So I think this, I agree with you. I think factions here has a very specific meaning and it's a different meaning in fifth edition as a whole.
1: Yeah. um, I have a really strong knee jerk reaction to um, come up with a way to say, no, you can have players join factions. I might be wrong, but maybe I would dive into it and discover. Yeah. No, like, my instinct here is wrong, but mm-hmm. uh, part of that is not having run west marches before right. and just having run a a long-term west marches light that is all about the existing player mm-hmm. faction right uh, but like th- that's that's the thing right uh, i can have good factions because the players have signed on the dotted line with a mercenary company and they're they're leaving uh in a box or not at all.
0: Right. Right. So also I just want to point out that they address in here again the idea of evilness. And so let me right. let me read this. Um it says <clears throat> it says um It says, you should keep the factions of the marches villainous, but they don't need to necessarily be strictly evil. They should be antagonistic towards uh, the player characters. This means that if you're making a primarily humanoid faction, you need to give them a clear reason to be evil. Quote, their orcs, they deserve to die, end quote, is both poor writing and profoundly bigoted. Humanoids can and often will be evil, but this should be proved through actions and deeds rather than genetics. Cultists, zealots, conquerors, necromancers, pirates, and brigands are all good examples of villainous humanoids whose evil stems from a more real and complex place than just their race. Absolutely. So, you know, they they come out very strongly on the villainous faction and making it really villainous, but then they, they kind of say, well um, – they don't need to be strictly evil. They can just be antagonistic. But either way, you need to have a way to show that it's not a racial-based element, right? It's right. just that this faction is a faction of thieves.
1: Right. They, they were never born this
0: way. They're going to steal from everyone. Right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. They weren't born this way. That's right. Um,
1: okay. <laughs> so, so, yeah. Uh, so, territory and influence – is the next piece here. And um, this is tying everything you saying about factions back mm-hmm. to the map, right. the map that is everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, I, I'm going to keep beating this drum. Sorry, y'all. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> but if you're playing Elden Ring, you know exactly what this means and how it looks. It, it is the difference between uh, Limgrave and Kaled like the things that you see there are they they look different. They are different. Um, Godrick soldiers are in Limgrave. They aren't in Calid. That's how it is, and that is tying factions to the map.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: so these factions have influences on regions, and.
0: Uh, And the regions have influences on the factions.
1: Right. Right. And so you're using the things that the players see, you know, around those individuals to communicate their story. Uh, It talks about if a faction possesses significant magic, their ability to alter their territory only grows further, right? So if they've basically been able to terraform the place to suit them, then that tells you something about what to expect from them doesn't it like that's how you use every detail to communicate character and valuable information
0: mm-hmm. yep and again if you're telegraphing then part of what you're telegraphing is symbols that the party will eventually learn to recognize as oh that faction is in this territory. Right. And it's not necessarily a sign hanging up, right? When you walk into the forest, there's not a sign that says this territory is controlled by such and such. Although there could be, I'm not saying that's wrong, but usually that's not what happens.
1: I mean, people definitely like to set up uh, keep out signs.
0: Sure, absolutely.
1: Uh, But the next page uh, theming, And discussions of theming and culture is really going to be a great lesson in cementing this. So I think we should go ahead and start talking about that.
0: Yeah. So basically, um, the idea is you're going to have several factions, not too many and not too few, right? Which is another point of you kind of have to feel your way through and figure out what's right for your table and the size of your map, basically. And each of those faction needs a theme that is at least recognizable as different from the other factions.
1: I I want to suggest that um, what we've sort of learned from that game made by Fire Opal and Bugrain is (laughs) 13 is a really good number to pick. (laughs) It It is going to be a really good number to pick for your overall setting. The players are going to wind up not really engaging with some of them, mm-hmm. and so let's say they engage with somewhere between six and eight of your thirteen factions. Mm-hmm. Icons, we'll call them. Right. It's perfect. Mm-hmm. Right. That that's a the ones that being a really good number. Right. And we did it that way in Dust to Dust for exactly that reason. Like we had about that number of significant players mm-hmm. who were their own factions.
0: Nice. Yep. Uh, and it's, it's really good. Cause it's an odd number. Yeah. Right? So you can,
1: you don't have a natural six and six split. Right.
0: Yeah. You don't have a tie. <laughs> right. You don't have a tie. So theming. Um, so the, 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 that's a really good point about 13th age because each of those main icons has a specific theme that individuals who are influenced by or interacting with others who are influenced by those icons, they have certain aspects or traits that tell you that this is related to that icon. And that's really what this theme is talking about. It's talking about have a theme, have a theme that shows you uh, that that shows that shows the players, right? that shows their PCs that, okay, now you're in the territory of this group because this is their theme and this is how they operate, right? This is how the group operates. Do they have the theme of they control through fear or maybe they are, um, they have knowledge as their theme. So they are a a faction that seeks knowledge in any form, right? And will pay for knowledge in any form, or perhaps they're, uh, their theme is I'm just picking random ones off this list. Nomad, nomadism, right? And so, mm-hmm. h- how do you have a faction with the theme nomadism? Well, you have the party come across an abandoned campsite that has been cleaned up, and the, where the where the nomads have moved on, and they can get clues from that, and they can learn things from that without having to fight necessarily the nomads themselves, because the nomads have now gone to their next the next season's. Living place, or whatever, right? So, you can make those themes. Those themes are going to affect the way that anybody who is a member of this faction behaves in the world and interacts with others. They are very clear, though, on the fact that themes um, are not culture, right? And that when you're talking about a group of people, say a faction, the people have a shared culture and you cannot escape that shared culture because you're in that faction. So I'm speaking from, as the member of the faction, you can't escape it because that's why you're in the faction, because you are ensconced in that shared culture, right? And that affects your behavior. And, um, the point of this is that means that you can give factions distinct cultural behaviors that distinguish them from other groups. And these, these things don't have to seem villainous at all, right? The cultural portion doesn't have to seem villainous at all, right? Now, of course, if your, if your faction's theme is we rule through fear, right? Then, I mean, that's going to you know, that's going to mean that probably culturally they're very intimidating and they respect strong warriors and things like that. But that doesn't make an individual that's part of that particular culture necessarily absolutely purely evil. Right. And so yeah. that's kind of what they're getting at: that you can separate theme and culture, even if they're interconnected, even if they they come together and intertwine. And you can do that in a way that l- makes it possible for an individual even if they're part of a faction that you might consider villainous is not necessarily just pure evil. Yeah.
1: Um, So this is, uh, they're not really getting into the full development of a living, breathing culture, mostly seen, uh, you know, Mm -hmm. on the other side of a uh, skirmish. Right. Right. Uh, And how to communicate all that, but they are trying to, I guess, get you thinking in a new way Mm -hmm. about uh, consistency and the campaign theme uh, also as an aspect of that. Uh, So this is, it's a good read. Just, they just can't do more than. um, Suggest. Well. Scratch the surface and try to, mm-hmm. like, spark some ideas of this incredibly complicated topic. Right. right. Of, of how to find enough words to describe all of this stuff about people and to make them interesting bad actors
0: mm-hmm.
1: Right. in a way that's different from all the other interesting bad actors in your setting.
0: Right. Right. Yeah, it's a tough subject. It's definitely a tough subject. Um, They do okay. Again, it's a place where I want more. But on the other hand, if you're talking about theming and culture as narrative tools and as as descriptors of large groups of people, I mean, you're talking about a giant, you know, sociology textbook, right? Right. I mean, you're not talking about, oh, add two pages and you could completely do it for me, right? Like that's not… (laughs) <laughs> That's not how this works. So, for this section, right. for one it like, is, I think it's okay.
1: Um, it's even specifically a sociology textbook through a narrative first lens.
0: Right. Which yeah.
1: you won't get any sociology textbooks doing. <laughs> right. That would actually right. be hugely unethical.
0: Yeah, of course. Yes, exactly. But you get my point, right? Like, we're not talking about, oh, yeah, they could have added three pages and that would make me happy. Because what they could add in those three pages, I would still be saying there needs to be more. Because this is a rich, fertile topic, and it it would be put into a textbook of its own. It would be a five hundred page textbook. So, um, so I, I guess I'm saying I don't blame them, right, for not for not giving quite enough on this. They you do a five
1: hundred page authoritative yeah. tome would be amazing to have, but
0: yeah, right.
1: Also, would have cost. Uh,
0: Right, (laughs) yes, Uh, way too much money. Um, Anyway, so they do they do a decent job. Uh, The sidebar is nice. I do kind of wish that for the faction themes, it wasn't just a one word thing. I know what they were going for. I wish they they gave you know a a little bit more on that. Um, But I understand why they didn't because they want it to be open ended, right?
1: Right. It it has a a bit of a um, a major arcana of the tarot. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah. Sort
1: of. Mode to it, right? But yeah, I feel you. Yep. Um,
0: so let's move on to bases.
1: Yep, this is the, this is the section that connects to the dungeon section coming up mm-hmm. for real, right? Um, and all of these are really going to be major dungeons. I, I would expect. Mm-hmm. Um, so that that's really. The first thing that strikes me about that D20 uh, table of faction bases.
0: Right. Um, Basically, the idea here is each faction should have a base. They might have a territory and they might have several different sort of settlements or whatever in that territory, but they should also have a main base. And that main base should be forbidding. It should be, you know, they should know when they look at it, oh, that's the base. That's going to be tough. Yeah,
1: I mean, there's a certain amount of um, the, the bases all look like Minas um, Morgul or mm-hmm. something. Right. Like, oh, oh, there's there's an all-seeing eye, yeah. Um, nope. <laughs> right?
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but but their point is well taken, right, that uh, the party shouldn't stumble upon an old half-ruined tower and walk in and realize, oh, crap, this is the big bad's base, right? Like, that should not be a thing. If they are actually going to the big bad's base, right, the, the head of the faction's base, and they've been dealing with this faction off and on and hearing rumors and doing all these things for the past three months of, of in, you know, every weekly games, they shouldn't be stumbling into the the boss's lair. They should For know sure. that they are at that base, and then they can make an informed decision about whether they want to siege it now, <laughs> right? They want to lay siege, or they want to turn around and go prepare more. And that's if about the, telegraphing If the four to six again. of
1: you are laying siege to something, um, something well, messed up.
0: <laughs> right. I'm I'm just saying. Right. That's about telegraphing. Right. Again, yeah. it's about letting them have enough information that they can make a good decision. Okay, so we can move on from that. The table is pretty nice, though. I mean. It really is. It's, it's nice. Um,
1: I mean, most of those you can find uh, a, like, map of on uh, mm-hmm. the Roll20 marketplace right. without working too hard. Um, yep. Or, or Dyson Logos has a really nice one on his site or whatever. Yeah, um, yeah. A lot of them are just really classic concepts is what I'm trying to say. Um, But bases delivering narrative. Yeah. Everything's delivering narrative. Mm -hmm. So yes. And (laughs) bases are going to be essential landmarks. Also yes. Um, And um, Breath of the Wild is a great example of this feeling that because it's a big open world setting. Well when you See the castle at the center of the map. It jumps out as a landmark, and it's it's a faction base for you know Ganon. Spoilers. <laughs> Ganon's the bad guy in a uh, Legend of Zelda game, so mm. I I guess I just blew your little mind. <laughs> Sorry, fans. <laughs> uh, but right, like what I'm trying to say is just they they talk about this and how you you use bases in the world and in the narrative and uh, you're using them to communicate things and to create that sense of dread that you need because honestly, dread is a huge part of the tension that I think West Marches wants to live in. Like we know the risk we're taking, but do we? Mm -hmm. We do, for sure, because the the GM doesn't lie and you you don't face difficulty spikes within a hex. Right. But...
0: (laughs) But here's this faction's leader's fortress. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Let's lay siege. (laughs) Yeah. Right? Yeah.
1: Do, Do we have any, you know, maybe... And stalpus lace each to this place. That'd be really <laughs> nice right now.
0: <laughs> nice. Uh, and then we move on to motivation. And so now it's back on the factions in terms of define the reason that this faction exists in this place, right? So why is it in the West Marches? What is its reasoning? Uh, yeah. and and it's a pretty uh It has has a D20 table. Um, It's got some interesting items on it, right? Uh, So, for example, um, restore a broken artifact, convert others to their beliefs, uh, control a source of resources, escape an impending doom. That's the sort of thing that's on this table. Those were four random um, entries.
1: Right. And goals and themes might intersect really interestingly. Mm -hmm. Uh, You could probably make something really fun happen with an unexpected pairing.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, I mean, a lot of them do sort of suggest how they would fit into each other. Uh, slay an unstoppable monster as a motivation. Well, uh, uh, nature and mm-hmm. mysticism and otherworldliness and judgment and materialism and knowledge and conquest and industry. Yeah. I, I can see how all of those would Factor into just, I want you to go kill the Tarask.
0: Right. Okay. And then um, there's there are ones like a destroy an accursed site. Well, the accursed site is accursed to the faction members, but maybe it's a shining temple of radiant beauty to the yeah. party, right? And so you know the party's not going to agree yeah that's an accursed site right but maybe that thing was built on top of a graveyard that was that used to be you know consecrated by you know uh you know the god of death or or something and that that deity is really mad that another deity's followers built an ugly bright cathedral on top of That place that he consecrated. Right. And so now you're now you have a complete reason why that deity would make their followers try to go destroy that quote unquote good temple. Right. Um, And then the theme would would relate right into what those what those members of that cult or whatever were 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 doing there. I mean that's part of why I like this table is that it can fit really well with the themes and you can, you can use it with the bases table and you can use those three tables to sort of create this entire, you know, again, framework of how that faction is going to exist in the West marches of your game.
1: Yeah. And the the population table on the facing page Mm -hmm. um, is going to put another interesting spin on that. If you, you know, both doing the expected thing, whatever that is for the mm-hmm. uh, theme and goal or coming out of left field with it. Right. Oh, <laughs> I, <laughs> I guess uh, this like, fears thing is all, uh, I don't know, clergy. Right. Oh, well, well now I need to dig deeper into, to explain those random results I've pulled. Right, right. Because mm-hmm. like, as with every... Random table in all of 5e. These are roller shoes,
0: right? Yeah, exactly. And again, we have another section by the way on that page about telegraphing and the fact that part of the way that the players are going to learn about the faction and its motivations is that the DM is going to telegraph all that information, and that if you're not telegraphing it, you're doing a disservice to your game.
1: Yeah, um. I think that more than uh, you see, even in standard d d you need to like, focus, you need to think back on what you've done in a session and break it down to figure out how could I have gotten in more information? How can I improve in communicating information and uh, you know, have just an information rich uh, way of speaking to the players?
0: And then development is basically, you know, showing that uh, the the faction is a living, breathing entity, so to speak. And so over time, at some point in the game, uh, in the entire campaign of, of the West Marches, there will be a point where... You know, there's going to be these developments within that faction. And so there's a nice little faction development table here that talks about some things that could happen that would change some aspect of the faction or some aspect of the way that the party and the players in the West March's campaign interact with the faction, right? There's an abrupt change in the faction's leadership or uh, the faction fortifies their base, or an unexpected element discovers the faction's base. Right, so now you can pit two factions against each other, or maybe those two factions are going to join together. Right, um, right. a natural disaster could occur. Uh, the, they could uh, accomplish one step in their master plan. Right, like there's this is a nice table because it's showing you that. You know, one of the things that they talk about is if the if you keep telegraphing information to the to the players and you're because remember, also, the premise here is there's a lot of players and they have a, a lot of different stable of PCs. And so not every PC is doing every single mission and not every player is doing every single mission. But if you keep telegraphing over and over, over months of gaming to several different groups and several different PCs about these factions and what's happening and none of them ever choose to go figure out what's going on over there never go investigate well when when the factions development stage happens when you decide okay well now enough time has passed and they're going to develop further well the party might not be so happy about it but i mean if they chose not to follow up on any of the clues well then that's on them
1: yeah um it's very much uh, an apocalypse world fronts mm-hmm. kind of right, exactly. way of thinking, yep. and it's just different terminology for the same thing. Mm-hmm. To be honest,
0: absolutely, yep, mm-hmm. um, yep. They, they don't go so far as to put a clock on it. You know, apocalypse world has right. the the timing mechanism built into the game, so that you can move f- closer to that development occurring or the front uh, coming to realization or further away. Um, this doesn't go that far. Uh, about it. It just kind of says, well, you know, you you need to have some random point in time you need to have in your mind that there's some going to be some developments. It doesn't really give a structure for that. Um because I think it to 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 this framework of this west marches game, it depends on how, you know, it depends on what the DM feels about how far time should pass before that. You know, like you can't just put a clock on it you don't put a clock on it from the very beginning right because so much of what happens in a west marches campaign is based on what the players are doing and because the pl- stable of players and pcs moves around so much and changes from week to week maybe then it, it could it could greatly change that whereas in apocalypse world the idea isn't more west marches it's that you have the same players every time so that has sort of a different framework for how to convey information and act on that information
1: yeah for sure so what I was going to say, uh, is that the faction developments uh, here? Some of them, in particular, are really seismic shifts mm-hmm. in in the setting and in the story that you're going to need to be communicating, like a steady beat every time these people show up. And I find that approach really fascinating. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I'm going to keep going to video games. Um, <laughs> sorry, not sorry. Um, so. In the game Hollow Knight, which is a Metroidvania, uh, it's a Souls-like Metroidvania, um, you you go along in the game, you explore this area called the Forgotten Crossroads. It's the very first region of the game. And then you beat the first of this particular trifecta of bosses, and the whole fa- whole place becomes infected. And it changes everything down to the color palette. Like this place that was previously a mm-hmm. very strict black and white now has orange pustules all over everything. Mm. And all the monsters have explosive orange pustules. And it's horrible. Like it's absolutely gross. But it's the same kind of oh, wow, something has capital H happened. <laughs> right. And yeah. it's never going back. I can't fix it. That's mm-hmm. just that's just the new reality of this whole region, or in this case, this whole faction. But the that faction is also a region in a lot of ways, right? That's that's what we just learned. Mm-hmm. Um and so these seismic shifts are doing that. Uh, right. and so this is talking about what the story beat is that makes the new thing. So I just think that's really, really good.
0: So here let me give you an example from a D game. Um the Tyranny of Dragons storyline the very oh. first published fifth edition adventure. There's one point in it where, as i I'm a player in this campaign and um, there's one point where the, 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 the horn of dragons gets blown. Like the, there's like a Draco horn or so. I don't know what the actual name of the artifact is, but basically when it, when someone blows the horn, it like calls all dragons, right? Mm-hmm. Like, it's the wake-up dragons, we have a job to do, come over here and help us destroy everything, right? Um, And so, some people of draconic ancestry or or who are tuned into that whatever can feel that, because you don't hear it. It's not like an audible horn. You feel that call. And, of course, my character is a dragonborn, so I know that the horn... Was activated, and so do so do several of the other PCs in the party. But that is one of those where you know, right at that moment, oh, oh, something happened. Like this is a major shift in what's going on, and now there's a sense of urgency because we need to make sure that we don't let them keep doing that and calling all the dragons because. You know, they're calling all the bad dragons that are gonna come and you know try to raise Tiamat and get her out of the nine hills, and then she's gonna wreak havoc, and that's really bad for us. And that is a distinct sort of development that occurs that made us all look at each other and kind of go, Oh right. Like we need to do something about this now. Like now we know (laughs) that that they are making progress, even though we've been working against them this entire time, they're still making progress.
1: Yep. Um, just reminders to the PCs that they're on the clock
0: mm-hmm, is right.
1: really good in it, any kind of D anD D campaign. Um, that clock feels really different in a West Marches game,
0: mm-hmm, right? Um, yeah, for sure. Because
1: I'm not sure you do want to have like a West Marches game with an apocalyptic cult, and they're goal could actually succeed
0: right right that yeah, yeah, feels
1: yeah, yeah. maybe wrong
0: for now, sure.
1: For the sure. land is devastated yes absolutely devastate the crap out of that mm-hmm, land mm-hmm. go nuts that's that's the pitch but
0: right
1: i, I think i think that if they can if there's an apocalyptic cult that can be the end of the campaign then it's not a west, Mar- west game anymore right right but right. having said that there's nothing wrong with pivoting out of being West March's campaign for a few sessions and then pivoting back in. That's mm-hmm. literally okay.
0: Right. right. Yeah. And and I wasn't trying to highlight the sort of oh crap now we're we're yeah yeah no, no, it was I, more about we maybe. know now something happened right and that's also part of what they talk about when they say that the faction should have limits right like they they specifically don't want you to have a faction that is the apocalyptic cult that if they make if they meet their goals they're going to completely destroy everything. Now, that can be the goal, but they are not so powerful that they can actually accomplish that goal at least not in one step. And so that's where it comes in that you should be developing the clues and hints and telegraphing that information to all of the stable of players in that West March's campaign about how dangerous that cult can become if you let them keep growing in power, because right now they're limited, but they might not be later. Right. And that becomes part of the game. And you're right. It could, it it, it would, if that became the sole focus would end up changing your whole campaign. And of course, tyranny of dragons is a very focused campaign, relatively speaking. Oh, for Um, sure. But, but yeah, so you're, you're right about the timing thing. And in fact, that's one of the things that they don't really talk about in here is timing. And that's why I think they don't talk about the timing of the development because they want it to be left open for the DM to decide, well, now might be a good time to figure out how that cult is developing or how that faction is you know and And it even it even says like it says basically you know um we kind of skipped this part but there is an achieving goals section about the factions and basically it says um you know uh it, um it says if the it says uh because the west marches are a place of ruin most factions will never achieve their goal they may they make steps or advances certainly but they actively achieving the goal is rare and that's because they're limited so that that sort of chinks in it fits in very nicely as a puzzle piece with the idea of their framework of factions right
1: yeah yeah absolutely um i think that uh The one other thing is that factions are one of the few places where it might actually be okay, in my mind, the book doesn't say this, but in my opinion, to uh, have a group of hexes jump up a bunch in in difficulty.
0: Mm -hmm. The faction completes its goal. Yep.
1: They now have super soldier serum or whatever, and... The the faction reps in this region of you know a whole bunch of hexes are now a, a whole tier higher of threat. Mm-hmm. Like you didn't stop them in tier one; it wasn't your core goal, but something you could have right. done. Th-
0: right.
1: th- they weren't stopped by anyone, and guess what? They level with you. Sorry. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. And it's, it's also fair to point out that on this faction development table, not everything is a, not everything is a complete benefit to the faction, right? It's not like, oh, they, they did something and now they're, they're, you know, advancing a step. There's, uh, there are those, they claim a ruin or other strategic location, they fortify their base. Um, But then there's members of one faction are captured by another or. Um, you know, a natural disaster strikes the faction at their base or somewhere else, you know, um, or, uh, they, um, the, the next step of their grand plan is executed or, um, they move to war against another faction. So that's not, you yep. know, so there's things in here that are sort of neutral. There's things that would, in, that would increase their power in the area. And then there are things that would probably not be good for them. But that's part of what makes the faction work here—a living thing. Not everything that the faction does is dependent on the PCs doing something too.
1: Right. Um, uh, Yeah, I do like that. Several of these are a very clear weakening moment, Mm -hmm. and maybe that just scrapes out everyone but the hardest hardliners. Right. Right. It, It. It. You know. Right, separates or, uh, the shaft from the grain.
0: Right, or it, or it weakens the faction enough that now the party, some stable of the party, says, "Hey, you know, maybe they're weakened enough now that we can go take care of them."
1: Yep, that's very cool. That it, that that isn't the world solve them for you. Right, that's right. Uh, something happened right. in this living world. Yeah. That suddenly put them within reach for us, and I think that's good.
0: Right. Here's an opportunity, and you can take it or not. And if you choose not to take it, be aware that that faction might rebuild whatever they lost. Yeah. And when they rebuild, if the if only the true zealots were left over, when they rebuild, they are going to be stronger true zealots, <laughs> right? Yeah. So yeah. Anyway, so let's round this up then. Any any final thoughts on what we've talked about today so far? Factions and encounters.
1: Uh. I mean, it, it's, a, it's a strong section here. Um, more would be still appreciated uh, from a reader perspective, mm-hmm. but it is uh, dense and rich text as it is. Um, I do think that it is helping me to see the factions as like faces and motivations in the world. And not just, I guess, it's like a world haunted by hungry monsters. No, it's also haunted by, you know, asshole people.
0: Right. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Exactly.
1: Um, I mean, it's very much a crap sack world. There's not a lot of getting around that.
0: Right. I mean, so, you know, the whole premise of the West Marches is, look, if if nothing was wrong with that area, the civilization would have already spread to there and there would be huge populations there and there would be large cities and it would be bright and there would be lots of trading and there would be, it would not be a West Marches game. It would be a sort of more standard, maybe Renaissance era game or a more standard fantasy medieval, pseudo medieval style game, right? It wouldn't yep. be West Marches where... The areas you're going into, by definition, are unknown. Yep. All right. Well, I think that's going to wrap us up for this evening, this afternoon, this morning, whenever, whatever time you're listening.
1: We um, had such good hopes of covering the rest of this chapter. Oh,
0: we are sweet summer children today. We yeah, are just, true. you know, it's 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 going to be all the rest of the year to cover the whole rest of the book. Um, anyway. <laughs> uh, it's a so, good year. It's a good year. It is. It is. So where can people find you on the internet?
1: Well, uh, you can find me on Twitter at Brenda Stoddard. You can uh, find me on Tribality.com. My personal website is www.BrandaStoddard.com, where I post a bunch more gaming stuff, you know, whatever I'm not posting on Tribality. Um, also, I have a Patreon that supports my writing at Brandon Stoddard. That would be Brandis Stoddard. Yeah, <laughs> is my Patreon. Shocking. Look, man.
0: <laughs> uh, no, I mean that's that's good, right? Because everything I do is under DM Samuel. So, you know, my Twitter's DM Samuel on Discord. I'm DM Samuel everywhere, you know, whatever. Uh, And you can find my blog at RPGmusings.com where I am talking about prepping for my Castles and Crusades Greyhawk game. Um, And other than that, I'm not really much going on. It's been a rough work semester for me. So, you know, that's life. I I
1: totally could have started like uh, promoting myself as DMB, but Mm -hmm. um, that was a Uh, was and is a band. So, you know, maybe not.
0: (laughs) Yeah, maybe not. (laughs) Yeah. All right. Well, folks, thank you very much for listening. We hope you are, you are enjoying our, uh, our jaunt into Iserians in on the West marches. And uh, I'm certainly enjoying it. I find the book very enjoyable, very little about it that I can complain about. Um, And, uh, and so we're going to talk to you next time with the next part of this chapter.
1: It is a solid purchase. Uh, yep. for just about anyone even if you're not planning on running west marches just world building and thinking about world building yep it's great
0: yep exactly